Friends in Art welcomes you to The Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring along your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. This episode is an archive of the FIA Writers' Workshop, which took place during the 2022 ACB Conference and Convention on June 25th. Now, here's your host, Peter Altschul. Good evening. My name is Peter Altschul. I am the Program Chair of Friends in Art. Welcome to this wonderful session called Effortless Editing. I also would like to welcome Jeanette as our host. I'm going to turn the floor over to Annie Chiapetta, who's the one who really has organized this workshop, found the panelists, and has done all the work. So I'm going to turn the floor over to her. Annie? Thanks, Peter. Hey, everybody. Good evening. And it's so exciting to be here tonight with a bunch of editors and writers. I mean, what could be better, right? <laughs> At least for me, because I'm a writer and I've done some editing. So we have a big panel here and we have some questions that we're going to ask kind of round robin style. I'm going to try to ask the panelists to keep their answers informative and brief if they can in the interest of time. We're probably going to go around for about 30 minutes, and then we're going to open to questions. So we call this seminar Effortless Editing, but anybody that's in the know, that is in the field of writing or editing, or even just does it on an amateur level knows that editing is not effortless. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of revision. And I heard one quote that said, proofreading never ends. So <laughs> I totally agree with that one. So in the interest of that, we're going to go around to our panel and I'm going to call on your name, panelists, and if you could just give us a brief introduction of who you are, maybe what you do, and maybe some of the projects or some of the publications you've been involved in, that would be really great. So we get to know your voice, and then we can go on from there. So I'm going to go off my list here, and I'm going to just go one at a time. Kim Nova, are you in the room? I certainly am, and thank hey. you. Hey, it's so great to be here. <laughs> Yeah. So tell us a little about yourself and your experience as a writer and editor, and then we'll move on to the next person. Excellent. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm so pleased to be here. I've been writing essentially all my life, and that's always been a part of my life. I've been primarily known in this community for writing for National Braille Press for several years now. With my husband and colleague, Chris, from Mystic Access, we have over well over half a dozen books now published for National Braille Press. And as of early this year, I became editor for our special, which is the women's magazine that's been in publication since 1927 for National Braille Press. So that's where my current writing experience is. And I've always truly just enjoyed it and had a great passion for it. So to be writing and editing now on a regular basis is a thrill. Thanks, Kim. So our next person is Mary Jo Lord, the editor of Magnuson Ladders magazine, and also Mary Jo has edited a number of anthologies for Behind Our Eyes. So Mary Jo, you're in the room. Please tell us about yourself. I'm Mary Jo Lord. I'm in the process of editing the current anthology sponsored by the Behind Our Eyes group. It's going to be called Behind Our Eyes 3, A Literary Sunburst. The first anthology put out by Behind Our Eyes was edited by Marilyn Brandt-Smith, and the second one was edited by Kate Chamberlain. So I wasn't involved with the editing of the first two. So I don't want to take credit for something oh. I didn't do. Oh, thank you for um, correcting me. <laughs> but um, I am the current editor of Magnets and Ladders. And I've been editing Magnets and Ladders since the spring-summer edition of 2014. Taking over the editing of Magnets and Ladders from Marilyn Brandt-Smith, who began editing Magnets and Ladders in 2011 when we started publishing Magnets and Ladders. I also write primarily nonfiction and poetry, although I haven't been doing a lot of my own writing in the past few years. It's been my experience and published in some anthologies in the past. Oh, for fiction or nonfiction? I'm just curious. Poetry and poetry. Okay. nonfiction. Oh, all right. Thank you. Welcome. So we have also the Writing Works Wonders dynamic duo, Kathy King and Cheryl McNeil Fisher. So ladies, would you like to introduce yourselves? We know you pretty well, but still. 
Well, since I'm already laughing, <laughs> and that's what I'm known for. Hi, everybody. I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher, and I am the co-host with Kathy King for Writing Works Wonders. We have published our first creative writing prompt journal this year. We have web design for authors coming out soon. I'm in the middle of finishing edits and formatting and getting that out taken care of. I'm also an author of children's books, fiction and nonfiction. I did a memoir for a 97-year-old young lady. I'm just enjoying learning and growing with everyone in the community of writers. Thanks. Thanks, Cheryl. Over to you, Miss Kathy. Hi there. I'm Kathy King, and I'm the other part of the dynamic duo. <laughs> and uh, we're so pleased that so many folks here are those that we get to know through the show. My background is in nonfiction. As guests, I've got over 25 years of writing journal articles, book reviews, and over 30 books in academia about how adults learn and change in their lives. Pretty interesting stuff. And with my vision loss, I ended up in retirement and finally am living the dream and have drafted my first fiction novel, which is sci-fi. And I'm very excited about that for many reasons. I've had a lot of editing experience because I was actually an editor. I oversaw three different series for a publisher in academia, and I wrote book contracts for people and oversaw the development of their books. And I was the final book editor, not the copy editor, but the content editor and shaping the volumes with them. I also created a couple of journals and was a journal editor for many years as well. So in addition to my own editing of my own work, I've done it with other people as well. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Thank you. Our next person is Chris Cool. He is editor-in-chief of Breath and Shadow Online Journal. Chris, could you tell us a little about yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Kuhl, reaching out to you from Danbury, Connecticut, the Hat City. <laughs> I was trained as a scientist, and after I lost my sight, I turned to creative writing. So I've been writing for about 25 years now. In 2006, I got a piece published in Breath and Shadow, and the editor asked me to come along as an assistant editor. And then in 2008, I took over as managing editor, and the editor had health problems, so I took over as editor-in-chief in 2008. Breath and Shadow is an online literary magazine written and edited exclusively by people with disabilities. We're a paying market. Unfortunately, we're limited in how many pieces we can publish, but we do pay and uh, we publish very quality work. Along the line, I've also edited uh, two anthologies and several novels. I've written myself three novels, and I'm in the process of publishing a collection of interlinked short stories called Morris that will be coming out later this fall. And that's who I am. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. I'm excited for you. It's like a big step, right? It's like, oh, it, it, you know. It is. And this is an interesting group because every time I read through my book, I tweak it. You know, it's mm -hmm. endless. It's yes, endless. it is. <laughs> That's the point. Endless <laughs> For sure. Editing, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. Next is Ann Harrison Barnes. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, guys. I'm actually professionally, I still go by Ann Harrison, but that's okay. I am an author. I have a poetry book out. I'm in the process of rebranding three books that so that's taking me some time. And I'm working from, well, I've set those aside. I'm working on children's fantasy. I am in training to become a content editor, developmental inline editor. I'm working with a couple of clients now. And I'm also the host of the Inspirational Journeys Stories That Matter podcast. So I've got my hands in quite a few fires. <laughs> Yeah, but that's good. It keeps your creativity okay. going, I'm, right? I'm, I'm crocheting for, sure. <laughs> for the holiday auction for ACB Crafter. So, <laughs> uh, oh. yeah, we're doing a blanket. Oh, sweet. Very sweet. Thank you, Anne. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, Cache, are you in the room? Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, good evening. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I am Cache Wells, and I will say that my love for writing started as a teenager. And as I grew older, of course, life happened, and I needed an outlet to be able to tell my story. And so, I found 
or refound my love for writing. And I began doing some freelance writing. I've been doing that for about 13 years. I am a published author. I do have four book projects for which two of them I self-edited and two of them are anthologies that I worked on as well. And I do have a chat book project. So again, I've published many articles in various editorials, newsletters, magazines, as well as maintaining a blog. I write for the WCB, which is the State of Florida Affiliate Newsletter, for which I have a standing column in. And I also am a member of the BOP, for which I contribute to the Braille Forum on occasion and the Voices blog. Yes, and that's where I read a lot of your work, and I love it. I think it's great. So thank thank you you so much for being here. Thank you. All right. So we're going to get to the best part of this. After all the introductions, we're going to get to the questions. And I think what I'd like to do is try to limit answering any one of these particular questions from two people. And I'm going to let you guys decide amongst yourselves kind of who's going to step up and do this. I don't want to start picking and choosing because I think that sometimes might get in the way of the spirit of what we're trying to do here. So I'm going to ask a question and then see who steps up. And then if you could, like I said before, keep your questions brief but informative, (laughs) that would be wonderful. So let's see here. So first question is, when did you start actually editing for other people? Or if you have edited for other people, what are some of the do's and don'ts? Okay, can I take this one? Sure. Okay, even though I'm kind of new at this, I started uh, the, earlier this year working on my, uh, a friend of mine who, she she's an author in another group that I'm in, and I'm working on her children's fantasy books. And honestly, I had taken a copy editing course, and I'd also taken the intro to children's book editing course. So I kind of had some background, but honestly, my thing is, if you're going to edit for somebody, don't second guess yourself because I'm, I'm bad at that. And of course, I've been told by three people that I'm an awesome editor, but don't get stuck in the weeds. If you're just doing developmental edits, do those first. If you're doing line edits, if you're going to do both, do the developmental first and then the line, unless you are under a time crunch, then you can throw those in as you go. But I like to do the developmental first and give some big picture pointers. And then mm. I like to go through the line edits because that's when I start the nitpicky right. process of doing the comments. I've learned how to do track changes and comments in words. So that's kind of one of those things. And it's not an easy process. No, by any means it isn't. I want to keep that in mind. There is a question about technology, but I don't want to ask that right now. So would anybody else like to take this question about editing for others and some of the things that you've learned? Andy, I Um, can answer that. Sure, Uh, Kathy, go ahead. This this is Kathy King. One of the things that I learned is it's really helpful to be very gracious. Mm. Uh, Kindness and graciousness in editing other people is important. As much as we as writers try to separate ourselves, our feelings from the edits, it's really hard. We put ourselves out there when we put our work out there. And so as editors, if we remember that and keep that in mind in our comments. It's really helpful. And you can kind of use it as an educational opportunity, guiding people along. And sometimes a phone call can be a lot better than putting a lot of detail into print first, writing it out in an email or in comments, talking to the person and saying, you know, there's all this really good going on, but I see some problems in these specific areas that need to be addressed. And I'm going to give you the details so you can drill down and get that. But I want you to really be aware there's so much good here. So you can really soften that for people by being kind and generous. And that's something that I found really helped my beginning authors that I worked with a lot of people. The reason I got into this was I was trying to increase the diversity of voices in the academic literature. And so I had a lot of people that had never published, didn't know the ropes of the publishing industry and building them up rather than building barriers. And that really cultivated a lot of voices. Thanks, Kathy. So I'm going to capitalize on this a little bit. I'm going to ask anybody, ask the panel who would like to speak on how they were built up by other editors or other writers when they first started. What are some of the things that you recall that encouraged you? Cheryl? 
Yes. Thanks. When I sent out my first manuscripts, there were many people throughout my life. But when I really got into writing and sending out my manuscripts, all of the manuscripts I sent out, and there were many by at that time by mail, and it was only six years ago, but I asked some personal, I, a lot of rejection letters, but I also had personalized notes on some of those letters or on a note card or something. Those are what I held on to and I cherish because they were uplifting and telling me these editors of these publishing houses were telling me that my work is good and this is how I can tweak it, but it wasn't what they were looking for right now. But the I can't get into, you know, the detail, but how, right, right. how encouraging that was. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. Anybody else have a, a similar story to Cheryl's? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to jump Go. in. Somebody <laughs> going to jump in first. Go ahead, Ann. Go ahead. Um, we have but, time. Go ahead. But no, yeah. what I was going to say really quickly was a friend of mine, her, Jen Lowry, who also serves as my author coach because I'm part of her Patreon group, and I'm hoping she's listening because she said she's going to try. Anyway, shout out there. She told me about this other editor and that she's worked with, and she does line edits and some copy edits. And she told me, ask questions, and she told me what she liked about the story and gave me some pointers to help me fine-tune a short story that she edited for free for me. And I really felt encouraged by that. Oh, well, that's a really great example. It sounds to me like the editor said, hey, you you know, you want to might incorporate this or that, but they left it up to you to make the changes. And I think that's what I think is like a, what people might misunderstand about and ed- what editors do is that we, we just encourage better writing. Right. Um, and how to do that in a constructive way for the writer is part of what it's all about. It's a relationship. It's not just words on paper. However we go about it, I think finding the way we can connect with somebody through the craft, improve things, but in a way where we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as exactly. they say, right? Exactly. Yes. So yeah. one thing I found that, that really works for me is when I see something that needs to be changed, like active versus passive voice, I will give an example like the left left parenthesis e.g. E- and then put my sample sentence in the parentheses after my comment, mm. which actually helps. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody else want to speak to that? How you would handle like if you've got the gist of the story or poem is great, but maybe you want to ask or request for some substantive changes. How do you handle that? Somebody maybe who hasn't spoken already, would you like to answer that question? I would say that one thing that I like to do is to be able to ask more questions to find out, to get a little bit more clarity and offering feedback, positive feedback is always encouraging to the writer, especially when you're doing editing of their work. Like you said, I think somebody else said being gracious and kind with our words helps to kind of reinforce what we're trying to help them to see and just offering the other references and suggestions that's going to bring home the point of how we're just trying to help bring a light to their vision, their vision of writing, to help them to see where they're trying to go, just to reinforce that. Yeah, the vision, right? Because it is a vision. It's a, it's a creative thing. It is mm-hmm. something that comes into being when we write. It's within ourselves, but it's without, too. It's, you know, it's inner and outer. Great stuff, people. Anybody else want to speak to that? I will for a second, Annie. Sure. Um, as I'm listening here, I'm thinking I actually wear two different editorial hats. So when I'm editing for Breath and Shadow, the first level is, does this piece have promise or, you know, just reject it? And if it has promise and it needs work, how can I, you know, I I don't have time to go through and detail every little bit unless I'm really, really interested in the piece. I'll give some general overviews and send it back to the writer and let them resubmit it. And sometimes they do and often they don't. Often they they disagree and, and they don't. When I'm editing for friends who have written novels right now, I'm I'm editing a novella. That's different because I'm really trying to make the piece better. So Mm. I'm taking notes as I'm reading through and I'm catching. I'm not changing passive voice, but I'm like, use use a passive voice a lot. You you start so many sentences with the word and. You know, so you catch those kind of things to give them initial feedback. And I think it was Anne who said earlier, you know, there's you take the big picture. You always do the big picture first. Right, right, yeah. And then ask for revisions, and then you narrow down on it and try and make it better. 
So it's kind of two different types of editing. And as far as positive, uh, Breath and Shadow, we often, it's, I actually really, I love getting submissions from teenagers. Oh, talk about that. Yeah, talk more about that. And I always, I always, well, first of all, at Breath and Shadow, I never use a form letter. I always hand type every rejection letter because I think, you know, I'm a writer too, and I received rejection letters and, you know, there's a person on the other end of this email. So, Mm. and when it's a teenager, I really try and look for positive things to say about their work and encourage them. So it's a form of mentorship, even though it's a rejection letter or, or even though it's a revision letter, there's hope in there. I think that's important too, because you know, as writers, we get those rejection slips. Well, we get them virtually now. We don't even get them on paper anymore. And you know, we we. I mean, I know me. I mean, I ruminate on some of them, you know. And I'm just like, why didn't they like this? You know, (laughs) it sounded like just what they wanted to, you know, wanted, uh, you know, in their magazine. And sometimes you get that personal comment in with the rejection that says it's just not what we're looking for right now, but keep writing. Your writing is great. And going back to what Cheryl said, that is the kernel of hope and what helps inspire people to keep going. So I, you know, it's uh, it's great that you mentioned that. Thank you. Anyone else want to speak on this? All right, we're going to go on to the next question. So I guess this will start kind of the technology talk. We're all visually impaired writers and authors and editors here. We use different types of technology to help us out, whether it's a screen reader or Braille display or we like paper, uh, paper, uh, Braille copies, whatever, voiceover, you know, run the gambit of all kinds of stuff. But I have one question that always kind of niggles at me when I talk to other writers. And the question is, do you ever use sighted assistance when you write or for any of the process of your writing? And that could be whatever it could be. It could be like somebody just, you send your document to your sister and say, does this look formatted correctly or whatever. Does anybody want to speak to that? Maybe what they've used or not used or want to explore. This might be a good part of the conversation. Well, this is Kim. I think you can actually hear me now. I personally do not. And There's no particular reason that I don't. I don't necessarily think it's a point of pride for me, although Mm. at one point in the process when I was first beginning to use my styles and format the magazine and figure things out, I had a little bit of, oh, you know, is something not quite right here? So I was very keen on my insert F command to discover my (laughs) formatting. That is like my best friend when I'm checking formatting for anything, you know? So that piece is very important to me. So I kind of thought about it over time, and especially when I was looking at this document and looking at this question, like, well, is it a point of pride for me that I don't? But I think Mm. for me, I've just grown quite confident in, in realizing that well, I can style this and I can figure this out. And, you know, it really makes me feel better that I can be a pretty astute user of my technology to generally figure it out. Now, of course, there's always going to be that gotcha situation that might come up. Right, right, right. This didn't quite work as intended or expected, right? But generally speaking, I don't. But I feel confident enough in the process to feel that things are going to be quite adequate when I'm sharing them with others. Thanks, Kim. Anyone else? This is Cachet. Yeah, I um, I kind of agree with Kim. I will say as a sighted person, you always want to go through those steps of, you know, marking your checklist, doing checking, you know, your styles and formatting and reading it out loud and all those things that you normally do. And as a backup, you like, OK, well, let me just, like I said, send it to my sister or somebody <laughs> just to read over. But I don't it, it wasn't until you mentioned that and I have to ask myself um, because as I have transitioned, I find more now in my writing that I want to walk in my own confidence of mm-hmm. what I can do. And I find that I just find greater inner peace and inner confidence the more that I just continue to just work on me and my abilities to know that I can do it myself. So, yeah, using the, you know, like I said, using the screen reason, the voiceover and just double checking. Like I said, <laughs> proofreading never stops. It just keeps going <laughs> sometimes. So I definitely love the ability to walk in my own confidence and just knowing that I can do it myself and and taking your time it's nothing wrong with taking your time sometimes i think we as writers we get in a rush and as the editors we get in even a, a bigger rush sometimes so yeah um, Annie, oh. i'd like to mention something on this sure this go ahead Kathy. Yes. and i might be coming from a very different perspective because my sight loss is only three years ago so i am still on the steep side of the learning curve 
And for those that might be listening who it's also relatively recent or they're not technophilic, you know, yeah, um, yeah. or especially tech savvy, I give myself the freedom to send it off to somebody that's cited to check the details. I do everything I can, but it's more efficient right now for me to do that. And I'm still dealing with my cited expectations and my cited world and how I did things before and what I expect things to be. And I need that reassurance. And that's just where I am right now. And so I think it's important to know that we're all different places on this journey. And it's great to hear the variety of where we are. Yeah, Kathy. Can I touch on that for just a second, Amy? Sure, Chris, go ahead. Okay, Kathy, I've been blind for 25 years, and I always have a sighted person check an important document. And the reason being is there's there's gremlins in my computer. Um, <laughs> what can like, go wrong, wrong will go wrong, right? They're like, why is this paragraph indented? I'm like, I don't know. And I, I, I remember specifically, somebody said, like, there's several sentences here that are in yellow. Like, oh, I don't know how I did that. So, you know, for I do all yeah. my writing, but but before I send it to a significant publication, I have a sighted person look it over. I've got friends, I've got plenty of friends who are willing to look over my work and just catch it. And often there's no problems, but I don't know. I, I don't want to get rejected because of a formatting error. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. If I can oh. jump in just really quickly. Sure. At first, I had no idea what kind of formatting thing I was doing. But then my friend who I gave a shout out to earlier, she on her podcast, she was talking about some formatting things that she was learning. And through that and through working with her, I learned how to design a book template that makes it uh, my Word document six by nine inches. And then once I get it to the point where I feel like I'm ready to publish and I've had people look it over, I either have a friend do the formatting form for me through Vellum, which is a program for the Mac. Hmm. or I will pay like a Playstead Publishing House to do the formatting and the book cover for me to a certain specifications because I don't know anything about the formatting and I'll tell my current and future clients I'm not a formatter. Right. Okay. Uh, this is Annie. Um, I just want to share um, that, uh, you know, I, I have like, I'm, I'm like in between of all of you. So some of the formatting and stuff I handle myself because I know my formatting skills. I try not to overstep my boundaries of knowing because that's when the mistakes happen. And over the years, I've learned to expand my horizons with my technology and technology has improved too. It's amazing how robust things can be. So there's a balance there for all of us. And whatever you choose from the result of what we were just talking about, it's about feeling confident in your work and being able to present good writing. And it doesn't matter how you get there so much, but that you feel confident when you send out that cover letter or that document that we know we're going to be on equal level with everybody else. This um, is Mary Jo. Yes, Mary Jo. I just wanted Yeah. Uh, Go for it. Um, I, I agree also. Sometimes we just, we need to just have somebody look at something. One time we had some poems on magnets and ladders that had a specific shape. Yes. And, that's a good example. Um, so we needed to have somebody cited look at that. And another tool that's available to us now, if you subscribe to and you use Ira. Right. Yeah. Um, good point. Yeah. And just look over a document just to make sure, like Chris said, that there isn't something yellow in the middle of the <laughs> yeah, document. Right. <laughs> the gremlins don't get us. <laughs> right. Because yeah. things happen. Yeah. Yeah. That we yeah. Don't don't expect. I know who to blame the next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't me. Wasn't me. Like, wasn't oh, me. no. <laughs> I tried to get the gremlin out. Yes. Uh, all and right. Just saying, the gremlins show up in the sighted people's work, too. You yes, know? that's they, right. They have the same issues. So mm-hmm. it's not confined just to, to us. Just saying. <laughs> okay, so we talked a little about whether you use uh, sighted assistance or not. Maybe we can get a little more into the talk about what technology works for you and why. I know this could go on probably like to a whole nother workshop, but um, I mean, just maybe think about how you've progressed over the years with your technology or something you're still having a struggle with. Maybe there's something from some of the other panelists or listeners that could help out. So who would like to dive in? I'll jump in real quick. I am a word nerd. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
That's what I tell people. My friend tries to get me to use Google Docs, and um, well, I will if I have to, but I'm a word nerd. And I did not know how to do this before. I learned I learned about track changes, but mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do comments. And my the editor that I talked to about the short story, she had left comments in the document. And so what I did was I did a Google search and found some information on the Freedom Scientific website. Mm-hmm. And I now have two notes, one for how to deal with comments in a document, which I've gotten pretty proficient at leaving comments and dealing with comments, and then one for track changes. So how has that helped you become more proficient in your craft? Well, as far as the writing, I don't use it as much, but with editing, it's helped me to, and, and now that I have the NLS Humanware e-reader, it's actually helped me become more proficient because when I press the routing button to where I want to start my selection or I use my JAWS keys to find where I want to start, I'll select the text. I'll hit, since I don't have a applications key on my laptop, I'll hit Shift F10 mm-hmm. and then... I will down arrow to, or no, not shift F10. That's, I can do that, but I also hit alt and then R and then down arrow and then right arrow over to new comment. So there's two different ways to do it. And that could be a, a lesson in itself. But, <laughs> and then I yes. enter the comment and then I hit escape to get out of the comment pane mm-hmm. and I get past where I was and I just keep and unselect it and I just keep on going. So practice, but. This sounds like it's working for you now. So it's yeah. like you develop your that that muscle. So, yeah, and you do yeah. the research. You know, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm not yeah. afraid to do the research. Excellent. Anybody else? This is Kim. I think for me, there's a balance between Braille and listening to the text, both in writing and editing. As someone pointed out earlier, we're always proofreading. There's no end to the proofreading ever, and it's finding the best accommodations for doing that as writer and editor. It's like, okay, should I be listening to this this time? Should I do a combination of the two? And and finding that balance for me has been one of those tricky things, both in my writing and my editing. Like, okay, I know I want to read this. First and foremost, I think I want to use Braille for this, but I also know I want to listen because I've always been an audio, you know, an auditory learner as well. So it's kind of difficult to strike that balance sometimes for me and figure out what's going to work best. So I've got a 40 cell display, which I think is essential for me just because it's got a large number of cells for me to utilize, but not mm. too many cells and kind of striking that balance of, okay, I'm going to read this and I'm going to listen to it. Then I'm going to read it back because you're always trying to find that clarity and figure out it, does this make sense? Do I need to tweak this? Do I need to have my client tweak this? You know, do I need to have my columnist tweak this? What is it that needs to shift here or is it good? And kind of figuring that out and, and working towards that balance has been an interesting piece for me. And I've, I've found for myself, at least, the more Braille that I use in the process, the happier I ultimately am with the results. Ah, yeah. I know people who will not do proofreading by listening, but only by Braille. Mm-hmm. And I'm amazed because I'm a survival Braille <laughs> user. I'm, I use I use my ears more than my fingers. Yeah, but, yeah. and of yeah, course, but it's, that works. Yeah, you know? yeah it works. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. If you find the ways that work for you, you know, yes. for, my, for myself, I'm grateful to be able to use both methods and... The more the more braille I use, the find that the less trouble that I get into ultimately. <laughs> Andy and Kim, I'm with you. There for a while between braille displays, I had to use JAWS a lot more. And so I didn't do as much editing and even learning how to edit learning editing and proofreading with the Chicago Manual of Style, which for those of you who didn't know, that is the publishing industry's rule book mm-hmm. that we mm. Yeah. A traditional publishers use that, which that's another thing in itself. But now that I have the e-reader, even though it's 20 cell, I can still read it pretty fast and I, or I can go slower as fast as I need to go. And you're right, speech. Sometimes I'll see something in Braille and because it's got those dots seven and eight to highlight it. And I'm thinking, I know that I didn't do anything with this. Why is this highlighted? So I'll use JAWS to listen to make sure I'm reading it right. I'm, I'm, I, ah. I totally agree. Yeah. Wow. Excuse oh, me, cool. Andy. We did have a yes. raised hand. Excellent. Michael Byington. Well, thank you very much. This is Michael Byington. Anne started out listening to this, but she's in the other room reading now. (laughs) I'm going to move forward. And I just wanted to contribute to this conversation that as a legally blind guy who uses some speech and some vision, what I have found in uh, trying to edit and proofread for myself is that if I write it, using vision skills, there's going to be both edit 
and just plain old proofreading mistakes. But I have found speech to be of tremendous assistance in proofing and editing. And one of the things that I try to do when I have written an article, and uh, I edit a couple of magazines voluntarily now, I'm not doing professional editing, but I let the speech read the whole thing and I listen for mistakes. And if you really get used to listening to your speech and people who speed their speech up at uh, 47,293 words, words per second <laughs> can't do this. So I keep my speech somewhat <laughs> slow. But if I listen to my speech, I pretty well know, oh, there's a grammar problem. There's a typo. And mm-hmm. there's a sentence that has a misplaced modifier in it. And I can fix that a lot easier if I use speech. And so that's my one contribution. And thank you. Thank you, Michael. Uh, this is Annie. I, uh, when I'm fencing any kind of work, the first time I read it through, I definitely slow my jaws down and really make a purposeful dive into the work. So that way I can fully understand it and get immersed in it. And I might speed it up or slow it down as I progress with the piece, especially if it's not my own and I'm editing for somebody else. But I really find that slowing jaws down and and just being purposeful with it really helps me understand the piece more. So one quick thing too, text analyzer for those of you JAWS users is your friend because it'll tell you where your stray punctuation, your space Mm -hmm. runs. I ignore some of the font changes, especially if it's something somebody sent to me, unless they want me to try to refix some of the weird stuff. And I'll just copy everything over into Notepad, and then I'll put it into a new document or something like that. But I've never had that that problem. So a lot of times I'll ignore the font changes, and but space runs, stray punctuations, things that I miss even with my Braille or my speech. Text analyzer is your friend. Alt Windows I. Definitely. Yep. Annie, this is Cheryl. Hey, Cheryl. Um, I agree because I'm one of the in-betweeners or whatever you have. <laughs> <survival> <laughs> Braille, I love it. What I do a lot of times is I'll put it in a PDF, put it in my Kindle app, because then I'll get the continuous reading as if I'm listening to a book and I'll have my Victor reader or something nearby and I can go by chapters or whatever to, to find things. Or I might be using my Kindle on my iPhone and then be working on the PC my or my iPad to be able to find, you know, and I stop when I hear those the uh, inflections that are wrong. Because when you do, as for us, for me, I do slow it down so that I can hear. It's easy to tell if there's a commas wrong, if there's there's something, you know, there's something up there. And then I can go back through and find it because I have not personally found a program that is good to use as far as checking grammar, checking all of these different little things here that are voiceover friendly. And one thing I do struggle with, even after eight years of writing, I cannot get those page numbers right for nothing. I mean, it just (laughs) baffles me. So that's what I go to a sighted person for, to start my page numbers on page seven, instead of having them start on the title page. But I'm getting there. I'm getting closer every time. So <laughs> good for you, Cheryl. <laughs> it is. It's a learning curve for sure. Sometimes um, we go out. Sometimes we go way out around the bend. Yeah. But you know what? We get there, right? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Oh, thanks. I would like to get input for this question. Do you consider yourself a better editor or writer and why? Who wants to take this? I consider myself a better writer. Honestly, I'm still learning the editing process. <laughs> gotcha. This is Cache. Yeah. Cache and then Cheryl. Go ahead. Yep. I would definitely say that I know that I'm a better writer than an editor because I'm always learning and trying to improve that editing process. But, you sound like yeah, me. <laughs> I definitely, I am definitely a better writer. <laughs> okay, Cheryl. 
I like the challenge of taking something big and making it into a smaller piece. I like that challenge, but I definitely am a better writer because my brain is always going and I keep something nearby so I can record it or whatever because I just got stories in my head all the time. So that's it. <laughs> Sound like me. I'm always I'm always dreaming and like, well, that would be a good story. Well, yeah, that, that, that's and then, me yeah. too, Annie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Uh, what if we hear from some of the folks that we haven't heard from about this question? Better writer or editor and why? This is Kim. Definitely better writer. I feel like I've got all this creativity in my head and sometimes it doesn't necessarily work in an editing project. But I know that if I just have the ability to just free associate and sit there for a while with just, you know, in front of the computer and be like, okay, let's write 500 words and see what happens. Then it's a great fun process. And I know it's not something I have to go back and play with. So if it's just something I'm writing for me or something that I want to fix up later and make better, then great, you know, but I feel very much like the new girl on the block in terms of editing and learning this process, but it's an adventure, you know, so if I can, continue to see it as an adventure and work on it and improve it all the time. We're always learning. We're always growing. We're always making things better. We kind of touched on that a bit this evening. Then that's great. And that's awesome. But writing was my first love. So it'll probably remain my first love. (laughs) How romantic. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, it is. It is a love affair when you think about it. All right. So who who hasn't spoken yet that wants to tell me? Writer or editor? Peter would like to speak. Okay. Peter? Yeah, hi. Hey, Uh, Peter. (laughs) I I always find it fascinating because I much prefer editing than writing. Uh, I am one of these people who I really enjoy supporting others to be better at what they do. And I always find writing the first draft is by far the hardest part for me. And I love the idea of trimming it down and, and sharpening it and doing all that stuff to make it shine. But writing for me is not a love affair. It never has been. I've never especially enjoyed writing, but I do it because it's part of what I do. But it's not something that I feel driven to do. But I love the editing part. I find that much more challenging, much more interesting. Yeah, Peter, this is Annie. You've helped me a lot with my writing by just sending me like, well, what if you use this word? Or what if you use that word? Or add a little bit or delete a little bit? And it's like, oh, wow, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I, I definitely enjoy hearing from other people and getting the feedback that makes the work better. So, and you're, and you're definitely good at that. So thank you. Well, well, thank you. Yeah. This is Kathy. I kind of look at it differently. They're two very different things for me and I love writing. I never knew I was a writer until I had written like two books. Then I was like, Oh, I think I like writing. (laughs) I think you're Um, a writer then Kathy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was a little slow on the uptake, but, um, Editing for me is teaching, and I love teaching. I love teaching, and editing is a teaching mentoring opportunity. You mentioned mentoring earlier, and mm-hmm. and that's how I see editing, and, and I really enjoy that as well. So they're two different things. When I'm writing, I'll stay up all hours of night. I won't let go. I'm like a dog with a bone. I'm so excited, and sometimes I'm dancing at the keyboard, you know, because I can't get it written out quick enough. And I'm just excited and enthralled with it. But they're two different things for me. And and I find um, enjoyment in both of them. Thank you. Yeah. Mary Jo or Chris. Yep. Go ahead, Chris. Contrary in the group. Uh, (laughs) I think they are both intimately related. Um, Mm. My advice to beginning writers is to join a critique group or practice critiquing other people's work. Because when you write your words, you're in love with your words. When you read other people's words, you're, you don't have that love. And so you can be more clear headed about what are the problems with this piece. And by analyzing, by editing, you improve your own writing. So then you therefore improve your own self editing. So I'm a big fan of doing both. And I I can't, encourage people enough to really take the time to critique others' work and see what works, what doesn't work. Is there too much detail? Are they using too many adverbs? Because then you can look at your own work and catch yourself doing that. So you'll improve your own writing by going through the process of editing others. So That's a good point, Chris. And it reminds me a long time ago, I was listening to a speech by Michael Crichton and one of the college students asked him, you know, what do you do to be a good writer? And he, he said, read. Yeah. And and they were just like floored with that because if you, you you need to read and read and read and read so that way you can learn how to write better. But you and need to read it. like a writer but too. Yeah, you, you, you have yeah. to you have to say like 
why is this sentence so beautiful? Or why did I read this book and I just kind of feel kind of blah? You know, it's hard right. to put your finger on those things. Yeah. Oh, why, why did the first five chapters really just drag? Why did I put that book down? Why did that poem not resonate with me? Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, it's all about the inner critic, I guess, or yeah. the observant person. So, Mary Jo, we haven't heard from you. Do you have – are you we a better editor? Have, I'm sorry, Annie. Oh, sure. Go we ahead. also have another raised hand. Michael Byington wanted to say something. Oh, sure. So, uh, who wants to go first, Mary Jo or – Let Mary go ahead and go first. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> well, I, I would agree with, with Chris. Joining critique groups is, is a great thing because we do all think that, you know, what we write is brilliant, especially right after we write it. Yes, yes, for sure. It's always brilliant. But um, I really related to what Peter said. I was beginning to sit there. Everybody's going, oh, I'm a better writer. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what's with me? But I agree with Peter. You know, know, of course, I like to write something and that's great. But the editing it and the rewriting of it and fixing what I've written or when I'm working with pieces with magnets and ladders and looking at how things are going to fit in the magazine and working with a writer on their piece is really something I almost enjoy more than the actual writing. So I would have to say I'm probably a better editor than writer. And I always enjoy the rewrite better than the actual writing. And Mary Jo, this is Annie, a follow-up with you. Is, is that because of the connection you have with the piece and that you took part in something that's completed. What's your thinking, or how you? Um... I think it's I think it's relating to the piece and also the connection, you know, to to the piece and in seeing how, you know, sometimes I I can look at a sentence and think, well, you know, maybe if this sentence were a little bit different, or if this sentence came before or after this sentence, this paragraph might look different. Right. I think it's it's just looking at the looking at the whole piece yeah putting together a puzzle sometimes yeah that's how i feel about my poetry sometimes it's like the puzzle's not quite right yet and i don't know how to fix it so i'm gonna let it sit there and go back to it later and then sometimes it you know after i go back to it i'm like oh that's what the problem is (laughs) so yeah sometimes it takes time to discover that but yeah thank you all right uh mr byington well thank you very much I think this is relevant to your discussion. I hope it is. I'm speaking now from the perspective of a legally blind guy with my nose fairly close to my computer monitor. And I just wanted you to know, and there is a point to this related to editing and writing, that uh, Chris has his camera on and nobody else does. (laughs) For some reason that I can't explain, instead of getting just a little thumbnail of Chris, I have had a full screen portrait of Chris when he has been responding to other comments in, in his body language and when he has had something to say and said it. And Chris has a very comfortable looking study behind him with <laughs> paneling and, uh, and he's been drinking wine as he's talking. All right. Fess up. It, Who hasn't? It, it appears to, I'm drinking wine too, quite frankly. Yeah. But his appears to be a nice dark red wine, probably very earthy. And I think it makes the point that if you're going to write, and you're going to edit, you need an environment around you which is very comfortable to you for doing that. And I want to compliment Chris at how comfortable he looks in his (laughs) study environment. And I hope that's not too far divergent from what you're discussing to be relevant. No, Michael, thank you for that. Everything's copacetic, as they say, right? (laughs) Oh, funny. All right. This is Cheryl. I just like to um, just the word. Yeah. As writer, what sometimes it's what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, I just want to say, too, I I piggyback on what Kathy said, too, about teaching and mentoring. I find when I have that opportunity to just as I want someone to teach me and have that easier, softer way, but yet give me i'm able to take corrective criticism and i think as what from what everyone has said too when we are able to give reviews or give that type of feedback 
and give it in a softer way, yet be precise, it is encouraging to that other person. We need to treat those that we are editing for as we want to be treated. And we need to remember that because how quickly we can just crush someone. And out of everything positive, that's what they'll remember is that being stomped on and being crushed, you know? So I just thought of that, that how we are all encouraging each other. And sometimes it is just a matter of changing a word. And what I do too is I've seen people rip up other authors if they have a couple of spelling errors or something in their book. I just get find their information and I send them a private email. I do that even if I see something on a website or something. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's the right thing to do, but it's also teaching me, well, if I'm going to, that's how I want to be treated. So I put that out there to the world. Thank you. Thank you. You're doing a great yes. job, Annie. So final notes, I think if you guys could put your writing hats on. If you could find an editor for the work that you're doing, what would that editor be like? What would you seek out in an editor? What would your wish list be like? Anybody want to take that? Well, I'll go. This is Kim. Um, All right. For, for, <laughs> yeah. for, for me, I think strong communication is mm-hmm. key. And right. it goes back to what Kathy and Cheryl have been saying about the approach. You know, and mm-hmm. coming to it and saying, okay, we know this is your baby. Here are some things that are great. And here's some things to work on, because if I can get both that type of feedback as the writer, ultimately, I'm not going to feel crushed. I'm going to feel excited because I'm learning something. You know, it was a teachable moment where they were able to teach me something. And now I'm able to take that and use it not just now, but as as something throughout the rest of my writing. It's something I'm going to remember because of how that approach was brought about, you know, how they were speaking to me, how they were sharing that information. So I think for me, the top thing that I would want in an editor is really solid communication. Someone who would come to me and be really honest, but also in a way that is compassionate and a way that is also very concise, but in a way that teaches me something. If I'm learning something, I'm feeling great. Thanks. I, yeah, I totally Kasha, agree with that. Who's next? This is Kashay. I would agree with that, that communication with that person has to be very important. But one other thing is I I believe in that the synergy has to be right. The energy between you and that editor, because you want to feel comfortable, in other words, releasing what we call our babies <laughs> to yeah. another person. And you want to, to, um, to know that they have a sense of knowledge and understanding to the not just the genre or where your vision is going but how to even communicate where changes need to take place or uh, places of improvement need to take place so uh, communication for one but centered that synergy has to be right for me yes Thanks, Cache. This is Anne. Yes. I personally would like somebody to not only tell me what's wrong with my writing, but give me the encouragement because I have actually seen, I sent a little short piece that I was going to submit to another anthology to an editor that I met through Wattpad, which, <clears throat> yeah, that was a nightmare. Anyway, and he emailed me with his thoughts on the story. And at first I thought he was ripping me to shreds. And then, I mean, he had some good points, but his his approach was really harsh. Yeah, very harsh. And I've heard that a lot of editors are like that. And the instructor for my Introduction to Children's Book editing course, she is not like that at all. She, at the end of her, not only her writing newsletter, which I signed up for, but at the end of her discussion responses, she's like, I'm cheering you on. And I love that because she's encouraging. (laughs) And as far as mentoring, I'm serving as a mentor for my author client that I'm working with now. And I've sent her resources. And if somebody needs, like is struggling with a part of craft or is learning their craft, I'll find those links to resources, outside resources that I don't have any, uh, especially if I don't have the answers to, or I feel like they can actually gain something from, and I will share those out to the, the person and to other people who might need them. That's just the way I work. Oh, that's a good point. Like as a, as an editor, but, but also caring enough to say, hey, you know, I might not know the answer, but here's something that you might want to read to help you. Kinda that's like a good a point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And- Who's next? Who wants hey, to answer hey. that? Yes. Uh, this is Peter, and I, I sort of like to talk from a. I, first of all, I love that comment 
about editing as a, as a mentoring slash teaching, because it really is. And that's the way I view it also. But I, I want to sort of talk about thinking about the, the work I do editing, which is not a lot, but I do quite a bit of it sort of informally. The way I work is I'll read something and I'll say, this is good. I think it can be better with doing one thing. And I go really, really quickly. And sometimes when I go really, really quickly, I will forget to be a little softer, you know, that I need to be a little more uh, confident. And I think sometimes we editors have an idea in our head and we think it's a really good idea. And we think it will really help you writers. And I'm, I'm using that you sort of bits of as a collective. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You writers. And what I ask writers to do is just to give us a little bit of elasticity um, because Often we're saying something and we're in a hurry and it's not an excuse. I'm not asking you to, to say that we're, you know, good people, but just sort of understand where we're coming from. We're, you know, we're busy. We're going through lots of stuff. Something gets our attention. We're asked to do something. We, we happily do it, but we're doing five other projects at the same time. And I, I know it's true for me. So I'm just asking you to be a little empathic to, from the direction where we're coming from as editors. You don't have to like it, but just understand us a little bit. We're, we're weird people sometimes. Well, that all that all goes towards the communication piece that Kim was talking about in the beginning, and 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 what Cache said about just you know the synergy. It's really important. It goes a long way, and it helps both sides. So yeah, yeah. Uh, who else wants to talk about that before we start wrapping up? Annie. Yes, Kathy. I think I've heard it said, but I think the two things for me I look for in an editor, and I've been very fortunate in having eight great editors in my life. One was my brother, who's now passed, and the other is my son, who is like 26 years younger than me, but outrights me like crazy <laughs> and, uh, and is a fabulous editor and has such a gentle way and is um, just good knowledge. And the cool thing is, is that what I've learned is understanding genre and market, and somebody said that understanding the genre and market. So every editor, no matter how great they are, if they don't know your genre and market, they might not be helping you in every way Mm. that you can need assistance. The other is all the different types of editing we might need. And that's been mentioned a little bit in structural editing, copy editing, line editing, consistency as far as your story. If you're writing a series or even in one book, keeping the eyes of the character the same color all the way through the book, that sort of thing, or the timeline. But the the other thing in the notes, you had sent us uh, ideas about the questions, and I had written down as my key point for this question, communication. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. that That is absolutely essential. And sometimes, like Cachet was saying, you just have that synergy with somebody. You just click. And you can talk easily back and forth. And sometimes it just doesn't fit. And so you go look for somebody else. You'll find them. There are a lot of options out there. And don't suffer. Find the right fit for you. And maybe you'll have a bank of editors that help you in different areas that you turn for. We do this in the writing community as we're part of different groups. And we have these friends that can give us feedback on this type of aspect of our work and the other. You can do the same thing with your editors. So that's just another thought that you don't have to have just one person. And that if at first you don't succeed, keep looking to find the right fit for you. Mr. Byington has his hand raised. Oh, okay, Michael, you got oh, the last word, I guess. <laughs> oh, dear, I didn't mean to do that, but oh. perhaps it's appropriate. I, during my first master's, worked with a major professor named Joel Kleimenhaga, who is a Samuel French published playwright and a very revered writer in a number of venues. And when it came to editing, he talked once about his experiences also getting his master's in art, which he also had. And he said he was working on a painting. And his professor kept coming up and saying, well, I think you need to do a little bit over here and taking the brush and doing things. And when the painting was done, Dr. Kleimenhaga handed his brush to the uh, professor, blunt end pointed toward the piece and said, now, you basically did it. You sign it. It's not my work anymore. (laughs) And Joel told that story relating to editing, Mm. saying Mm. that it is very important that you communicate with the author enough that you understand where they're trying to go. 
Otherwise, you will amend the work in ways which are utterly inappropriate, and that is not editing. And I just thought perhaps that was a bit of wisdom from my graduate work of many, many, many years ago from a long-dead professor that was worth sharing. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. All right. Well, there you have it. We've had a wonderful panel. I want to thank everybody for coming. You all were just wonderful. You've given us, given me so much to be thankful for, knowing that so many of you and so much of your talent is out there. And uh, I'm blessed to be able to share all this with you and give each of you a little bit of time to, you know, share about your creative process and your craft and, and who you are as writers and editors and people. It's all about the people, right? Making the connections. Art Parlor is brought to you by Friends in Art and ACB Media. It airs several times a week on ACB Media One. To listen and for a full schedule, go to acbmedia.org slash one. Art Parlor is also available as a podcast. Just search for Art Parlor in your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at friendsinart.org. And please feel free to check out our website, www.friendsinart.org. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. We'll be back next month.